And what's going on, guys? Kieran Hidley here from the Pocket Coach Podcast. So today, I'm going to be introducing a man who has inspired me for quite a while now, which has been absolutely fantastic. He's got almost 100,000 on YouTube. He's been awarded Best of iTunes in the Health category. He is a cognitive behavioral therapy and neurolinguistic programming coach. He's also the author of, I'm just going to say it anyway, Fuck Coping and Start Healing. He's a former pro athlete, an award-winning speaker. Now, his story is very interesting because he's gone from having around about six years of overwhelming and chronic anxiety uh, from his mid-20s to early 30s. And now he's been able to step into a place where even if you just listen to his voice, it is meditative. So <laughs> that speaks volumes. And he has guided and coached over 10,000 people. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce Dennis Simsek, wow. the anxiety guy. That was incredible. Thank you for coming on, man. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I can live up here, to man. that stuff, but I do my best. Here. This is you, mate. Yeah, I'm like, wow, is that really, yeah. is that really me? Did I really do that stuff? Yeah. yeah. But it's been a ride for sure. Thanks for having me. This is mm. fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for being on. So what I'd love to do today is go over, of course, the idea of anxiety and really get to the root of it, where it's coming from, mm-hmm. and this idea of overthinking as well, because, of course, it's a really big theme with an anxiety. So before we do that, I'd really love to hear more about your story. So really share a bit more about what your experience was like with an anxiety, what that felt like, the biggest struggles and issues that came up for you during that time as well. Yeah. Um, with my anxiety, you know, it's interesting how when you're an adult, you don't realize how anxious you really were when you were a kid. So mm. that was me. I was an adult and I had these multiple anxiety disorders and diagnosed, and I self-diagnosed myself. And I never realized kind of the compounding effect over these dozens of years that led to the result of experiencing this really sensitized state that I was in all the time. So, you know, it really started with a tremendous amount of pressure from my authority figures because I was supposed to be this next massive professional athlete. And so the coaches and my dad were all on board and, and, um, and we sacrificed a lot simply for a dream, a dream that I wasn't sure was really mine, um, which was to be a professional athlete, to be a professional tennis player. So there's this dream and there's this kid who really doesn't know what the heck's going on and just wants to have a little fun and enjoys tennis, but he doesn't really, he doesn't really like the amount of pressure that he feels going into each and every practice and tennis match. And unfortunately there was not, there wasn't a plan B or a plan C in my life. And so unconsciously as a kid, I kind of felt, or intuitively, I felt that, you know, what if the tennis doesn't, you know, become what it's supposed to become? Why don't, what if I don't become a professional athlete? What's going to (laughs) happen? And I was always kind of questioning my dad's approach to life and my other authority figures and wondering, well, if I don't become this, what am I going to be? So there was always this feeling of, you know, I want, I want to, I want to see if I can slowly and gradually start, you know, going into different directions just in case this tennis thing doesn't pan out for me. So the pressure and the tension coming from all directions and the pressure I put on myself and the the, the tremendous amount of traumas that I experienced because of not doing a good enough job or putting in enough effort or even not even being smart enough at school because I wasn't aware of where I was in terms of my my relationship with the school world and how I didn't like it there and it wasn't fitting, you know, the, my character and yada, yada, yada. You know, it's not easy being a kid. It's really not these days, especially living in North America and doing your best trying to fit in and trying to find your way. And, and honestly, over those years from being a child and moving into my teens and into my 
early 20s and such, it was really, you know, it was really interesting. And as, as I look back right now, I can really sense how much tension I felt on a daily basis, simply trying to find, find my way through life and trying to find some kind of a, a spot and just try, kind of feeling connected to other people. So yeah, that, that's kind of how my anxiety compounded and and I f- started finding that I was thinking in ways that, you know, I found the threat in everything. So there was no safety in my world. There was only threats. And in what were some common threats that would be uh, would come to mind? Well, threats like threats connected to my social status. Like if I was gonna go meet somebody new, for example, I would spend morning till evening building up every single scenario that may come true mm. with that meetup with that stranger that new person like let's say oh we're gonna go for dinner or something you're gonna meet someone or even if i have to go to the local cafe and order a tea or something if i wasn't sure about the end result most of the time i simply walked away and i found an excuse not to go into those uncertain experiences. Um, And this was, it was constant. So I was always in this protective mode, this survival mode, protecting my social status, protecting, you know, my ego, protecting my own life and making sure that every sensation of anxiety wasn't in fact a physical illness. And so I wasn't really living, Kieran. I was, I was surviving and I was there physically but I wasn't there with people and I wasn't there in the present moment. And that was the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Wow. And then obviously something happened to shift this. What was the first step in that shift? Yeah, and I mean. How did that journey start to unfold? It was, um, you, you kind of get to a place in your life where you absolutely hit such a rock bottom place that you have no choice but to make yourself better, but to improve. And, yeah. you know, I, I remember years and years going to therapy and doing this method and the formula and gaining the advice and trying different things, but not really being one with that method fully, always having question marks in my head and always questioning whether it was going to work for me and why it wasn't going to work for me and so on. And then I I remember, and I tell this story repeatedly in these interviews and such, so maybe some people are sick of hearing it on my channel, but <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway. You know, I remember mapping out my entire suicide. You know, I remember mm-hmm. step by step by step how it was going to go and I was pretty much moments away from jumping over that bridge. And then I realized that there was just one, one thing that, that could pull me back off of that bridge and get me to give life and this whole journey another chance. And that was my newborn child. And so... Wow. There I am in that moment thinking about my newborn child bawling my eyes out in the car, you know, wondering how the heck I got into this internal state, this inner nightmare. And if, if you haven't gone through severe chronic anxiety um, in the different, the many different disorders out there, then you truly don't understand what it's like. And, and in that moment, you know, I, I said, well, well, let's let's go ahead and give it another day and see what happens. And of course, nothing changed. And then nothing changed. And it still didn't change weeks and months later. But I found myself slowly and surely feeling like I was being led to the right information. And it wasn't like there was this massive dramatic change or anything like that that happened. But intuitively, I felt like the right information, the right people were coming into my life. And I was, I was being led towards experiences that I needed to experience in order for me to once and for all overcome this. So it was a really, it was, it was like a roller coaster is the best way I could put it. And through that, 
intuitive journey, I began uh, finding my way, and it led me towards books um, around the authors like Stephen Parkhill and um, John Sarno and uh, Peter Levine. And I was led towards the trauma world, first off. And uh, in the trauma world, I realized that anything could be a trauma, anything. Like, you know, you fall off your bike, and to the adult, it means nothing. But to the child, it's like a tremendous event, right? Mm. And so I found myself reframing, emotionally reframing my past traumas in in the way that they led me to reframe them, but as well, I kind of added my own um, juice or my own um, direction to the reframe as well. So I did that for a number a number of months, and I found myself feeling lighter and lighter and lighter. And because I was so engaged in reframing and so emotional, and I remember crying all the time, and you know, why did you do this to me? And I remember feeling like. I got justice and I kind of got revenge and I'm not saying that in a negative or threatening manner, but I felt lighter and lighter through the reframing process. Mm. And then what happened was I was able to re-perceive any of my internal or external challenges in the present moment. I was, I was like, wow, this is naturally helping me. And so I got better at responding in the moment of fear combined with reframing past traumas. And I found that I had this tremendous momentum and it led me to uh, inner peace. Wow. Wow. Sorry, that took a while. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's brilliant. Um, I loved the build up and then all of a sudden there was this switch of, well, that led me to inner peace. So of course there's multiple aspects that come into play that allowed for that peace to flow. So I'd love to hear maybe two or three main aspects or main things that you started to apply within your life, maybe even practices, whatever that might be, mm. that have really uh, really helped you in a very full way and very practical way. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing those? Totally. Um, I would say that the first one, and it's a very necessary part of healing, Kieran, it's the... It's the ability for me to understand that there is a relationship that needs to get better within each and every individual. Mm. And that relationship is between the child side of us, which is connected to the subconscious side of us, like our feelings, our emotions, um, our instincts, you know, these sorts of things, our core beliefs, everything that happened when we were kids. So that instinctual side of us still lives within us and is connected to the adult side of us, the one that's experienced, rational, it's got a tremendous amount of willpower, that sort of thing. So the first thing I had to do was to start understanding that these two sides of me had to start cooperating with each other rather than competing with each other. So I found myself, when I got instinctual, or when I started catastrophizing things, I remember the adult starting to jump in between um, the child side who was being instinctual and starting to lead my body rather than allowing my body to lead my mind, basically. Mm. So that was the first thing I was starting to, I was starting to be more aware of those moments when I needed to jump in as the adult and guide the child mind. The second thing was, I remember very, very clearly, almost like like a voice coming to me saying, slow the hell down. Like, yeah. And everything I was doing was so fast. And I remember feeling like the faster I go, the more threatening my environment is, but the more threatening everything in my environment is, such as people, what I'm doing. So I realized that the faster I went, the more threatening this present situation was. And the slower I went, the safer it was. So this is kind of how my subconscious began to interpret the present situation. 
I started to mm. slow down and you'll see me. I, I really slow it down like on YouTube and podcasting and stuff. I never talk this slow. And I used to be so speedy. Oh man, me too. <laughs> very strongly. <laughs> yeah. So I started eating slower. I started driving slower. I started talking slower. I started to mm. find that it was almost like I was going through the entire day in a meditative state. It was really incredible. Wow. And so I felt like I wasn't forcing life to happen and I wasn't so addicted to suffering anymore, but I was starting to become mm. addicted to inner peace and I started to make peace with peace. So the second thing was basically slowing down. And the third one was to, again, build a, a better relationship with silence and darkness. This is kind of different in a, in a world where we're always going, 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 got things to do, right? But I remember any time something got silent, like if I was sitting beside someone that I was supposed to talk with, I would get agitated. It's like, oh my God, like someone's got to say something or else, you know, but I started to think to myself, like, why? Why do I have to just spur out meaningless words just for the sake of talking? So... I got really, really comfortable with silence, whether that was mm. with people or whether I was alone, I didn't have to turn on the TV anymore, you know, none of these things that I felt I needed for my own entertainment, right? And so silence was there, but also when it got dark, I was like, oh my God, like I'm alone now, you know, I don't have anybody to chat with, there's nothing going on in my life. So I made peace with that darkness as well. And, and I started to meditate a lot in the darkness, mm -hmm. silence. And I found that there was a tremendous amount of insight and clarity to be gained simply by um, getting to a better place in terms of your relationship with silence and darkness. So um, those, are, those are three things that I did and I continue to do um, during, even during the maintenance phase, which, you know, I've been in for years now. So, yeah. That's powerful. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah, I, I really relate to every single one of those. And I really heard a real key phrase of what you said, which was your addiction to suffering shifted to an addiction to peace. Hmm. How does it come to be? Because there's definitely, that's definitely a common factor and a common trait, right? It's almost like I know in, in my past, I was resistant to peace. Right. And I always found myself coming back to this depression, to this anxiety that was residing within me. And it was like what you just explained, this addiction. Right. So why is that? You know, I think that because of the the way of the world and because we're we're so caught up in our to-do lists are just expanding more and more and more. I believe that we really don't have any time to be spontaneous and to replace our childishness with being childlike. So being childish would mean to live off the same beliefs that we had when we were a kid and you know, I've heard a couple people say now that you know, most adults today are basically still in the mental maturity of being 12 years of age. And when I thought about that, I was like, whoa, like, kind of, wow. kind of, kind of makes sense. I mean, at least for me for a number of years, and there's not that mental maturity. So I started to become more childlike and less childish moving away mm. from beliefs that I held when I was a kid about myself and the world and being more childlike, I started to actually live out the childhood that I really wanted to live out that I didn't get to live out when I was a kid. So I started finding that I was more playful, I was more spontaneous. But people today are very fearful of slowing down. They're very fearful of peace. They're very fearful of being uncomfortable because there's this survival brain within us, the reptile brain, that makes us feel like if we slow down, then we are X or we're not doing enough for yeah. the world or yada, whatever excuses it is for the individual. So we never give ourselves the opportunity to slow down, experience a sense of peace, a sense of connectedness to the world itself. And therefore, 
we're always on high alert. We're always standing guard. We're always trying to protect what we already have rather than grow into who we're meant to be. Hmm. And so yeah. I found this to be a massive problem and it's for me, and it's a massive problem for a lot of people out there because a lot of people out there are living artificially. You know, they're they're not authentic, they're not unique. They're they're living based on the mold that their authority figures wanted them to be like when they were kids. And they're living off the demands of society today. Should I say the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? And they find that they're tippy-toeing around life rather than being unique and creative. So, you know, we're stuck in jobs that we absolutely hate. We're around people that make us feel comfortable but never lift us up. And it's all based around this idea of familiarity. You know, whatever's familiar is also safe. And we never really give ourselves a chance to explore anymore, as we did when we were young, really young. So, so it's quite. We spoke on these uh, these child beliefs, these beliefs that we develop from when we're younger, and of course, there needs to be a shift there in order for us to find a sense of peace and safety and security in those environments where we would normally feel anxious. So, mm-hmm. how does one go to actually start to shift those beliefs? Is it through a, a simple awareness? Is there action involved? What's the steps with shifting beliefs, old beliefs? You know, I think I I truly have to go back to my own journey for that, for the answer to that. And I never forced anything in the beginning. You know, what a lot of Mm. people do when they take on this healing journey, and we'll just call it a healing journey, the transformation towards becoming someone new, is they, they look to force their healing. It doesn't come naturally to them. So they start to you know, give everything they have. Like, let's say somebody gives them some advice and says, hey, you got to eat more vegetables. You know, someone who's anxious will eat like pounds and pounds of vegetables for three, four days, yeah. right? <laughs> and then yeah. and then they'll look in the mirror or they'll, look, they'll check in on their physical state and they'll wonder if they're getting better. And obviously they're not. And they'll give up on eating vegetables. So mm. there's this feeling of, okay, if I do the right thing now, then I should be healed tomorrow. And that's the problem. Instead, there's got to be this initial level of awareness. I call it calm awareness as you go through the day. It's the idea of being open to new ideas, right? So you go through your day allowing yourself to become more open to ideas that show up spontaneously within you. So this goes in a totally different direction than overthinking. You're listening to the language of your heart, your intuition, rather than relying on your intellect all the time. Think, 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 think. So the beginning steps is calm awareness, flexibility in the ideas that you have, And then it really is, the beginning stages really is related to exploration. You're just kind of exploring, exploring your potential, you're exploring kind of new role models, you're exploring new ideas and concepts that may help you in the future, you're exploring your past from from another angle. So it's this ability for a person to let go And to simply take these steps of calm awareness, exploration, that will bring them the insights and the information that they need, because that's how the world works. Whatever you put out there, you're going to be getting in time. And so you're met with the right information at the right time and the right role models and the right books and so on. And now you're on this journey towards not only healing, but healed and then total transformation into somebody else who can go through the day with such a such a flow a flow where you feel like you don't have to fight like like today for example if someone came up to me and they literally punched me in the face you know i would stand there and there would just be like a 2 second period where my instincts would be like punch him back right yeah Back in the day, it was 
it was days, weeks where I wanted to punch someone back, let's say. Mm-hmm. Never happened, but but now mm-hmm. someone punches me. And in that moment, I have the flexibility and the awareness to go deeper than what my instincts are telling me to do. And now I'm open to the idea of me being wrong or doing something wrong to this person, or maybe it's a suppressed thing from this person and they're taking their anger out on me, whatever it is, but I'm open to such ideas now, right? Wow. So it's totally different. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And um, you spoke on overthinking before, and I've actually heard you in one of your podcasts speak about how overthinking can come from avoidance, actually. And I'd love you to speak on that. What exactly is that avoidance? And how do we start to reverse that concept of overthinking? So I think from my own experience and working with people that overthinking is also you know, a a protective response. Many people that are overthinkers are actually unconsciously afraid of facing what they need to face in order for them to transform into someone new. So the overthinking becomes this place that they can resort to in their minds in order to escape something, not to so much figure something out, but it's an escape. Because Why is it an escape? Because the more we overthink and the more we feel like we're thinking about something, the the farther we get from the actual solution, if you'll Mm. notice, especially with anxiety, because the anxiety compounds if we continue to do the same things that we're doing. So there's a difference between the intuitive side of us the intellectual side of us, and the instinctual side of us. If all these three sides are working in harmony, then you've got a sense of flow throughout the day. But if someone is solely living off instincts, let's say they're just just so addicted to these stress chemicals that continue to mobilize their body constantly, and they can't live without it. They got to buy the next thing, the new trend that came out. They need to go to the sporting event. They need to do this, do that. And they never slow down or give themselves any opportunities to look deeper into why they feel a sense of loss or a sense of disconnect with the world or where they are. So we got the instincts, we got the intellect that likes to overthink everything, then we got the intuitiveness, and I feel like the more intuitive we become, kind of like before we were corrupted children and believed the same things that our authority figures believed and such, we were very Mm -hmm. playful, we were very open, we were very adventurous, and it's very spontaneous. Let's just go do that, Dad. Let's just go do that, Mom, without thinking about it so much. And so, you know, our parents with with really good intentions kind of led us in the direction of what they believed was right. But at the same time, they really helped in diminishing our creativity and diminishing our spontaneousness. And the truth is, is that the people that I've seen who have healed their anxiety or on the healing journey find that they're becoming more childlike more playful, mm. more intuitive, more adventurous, more spontaneous, mm. and less overthinking. So yeah. it really does come down to that. And again, it's this idea of awareness and being able to put in the work when when the work shows up, the work that you need to really do for yourself in terms of self-care um, that will continue to, to build the person into the identity that w- they want to become. Right. right. That's powerful. And I definitely uh, I definitely resonate with that idea of becoming more intuitive. It's definitely something that has absolutely allowed me to come further away from uh, overthinking assumptions in many areas of my life. Now, that intuitive factor, is there certain uh, tools or 
things that you would recommend people start doing so that they can really learn to become more in tune with their intuition so that they become a little bit further away from their intellect in that process? You know, when you think about intuition, I believe you need to also make sure that you have um, or you start moving towards this idea of trust. Because when you think about an anxiety sufferer, they don't trust. Louise Hay says, you know, an anxiety sufferer doesn't trust in the unfolding of life. So when life happens, the anxiety sufferer or the person that's under a tremendous amount of pressure, tension, doesn't seem to trust in what's going to happen. Therefore, they feel the need to act in ways that opposes what they really need to do in that moment. Mm. So to build the intuitiveness, you've got to build your trust in life. You've got to build your trust in people. You've got to build your trust in the idea that even if something bad happens to you, it's happening for a reason. There's a bigger purpose to it. There's a learning opportunity there. And if life was always happy, if life was always certain all the time, it would be boring. It wouldn't yeah. be it wouldn't be life. So trust is really important and we need to make sure that we develop this trust by recognizing when we're starting to lose that trust. And even dying, even poverty, which, you know, in the book Outwitting the Devil, really great book, by the way. Um, I suggest uh, anybody who wants to go in deep into this work, you know, get that book. But talk about the two biggest fears that the devil, in his eyes, the devil is playing in terms of the tricks he's playing on, on the human beings today. One is the fear of poverty and the fear of death. And so this energy brings in these fears and makes us believe that, you know, if this or if X is going to happen to us, then our lives are going to be this way. And so we go about our lives doing everything we can to make sure that X doesn't happen. And in the process of trying to keep everything so very certain, what we're doing is we're, tr- we're engaging in more and more control. We're trying to control everything happening within us. You know, we're misinterpreting sensations and thinking that they're physical illnesses. And um, we're really starting to move away from trust and, tr- and move away from yeah. intuitiveness. So that's a, that's a starting point, really. And from there, what starts to happen is people really start to um embrace the uncertainties of life and they're okay with any result that may show up in their lives no matter what happens because they believe that in their hearts they're going to be taken care of everything's going to be fine in the end and that's kind of the the mindset the approach you want to have in your life in order for you to slowly diminish this anxiety that may be arising right right yeah that's powerful you've said once don't believe everything you feel. Mm. What do you mean by that? So don't believe everything you feel, you know, comes to me from uh, more so the the health anxiety world because that's mm. a world that I lived in and um, many people that I'm trying to help are living in right now where they feel something in their body um, and they misinterpret it as being a physical sensation, a physical illness or a developing disease of some sort. So the idea of don't, you know, don't believe everything you feel comes from there. But it also comes from that initial instinctive reaction to an event. So you have an event and you have a feeling in regards to that event. And what happens is if you believe what you feel... You go through that whole situation and likely uh, future situations in a very narrow-minded manner. So everything is X. This situation is X. That person criticized me. They are bad. Or, you know, they're my enemy, for example. And so 
when you feel something and you create an interpretation based on that feeling, you're not giving the opportunity to see the situation from different angles to arise. It's impossible. But that's kind of the world we're living in now, where everybody believes what they feel. If I feel it, then I've got to think in line with it, and I've got to act in line with it. Therefore, that's what's real. But they never take the chance or the opportunity to simply pause. And as simple as it is, just to pause when you feel an emotionally intense situation occurring. And in that moment of pausing, you're, with every second that goes by, you're allowing the instincts to subside and you're allowing right thinking and intuitiveness to arise. Mm. So, you know, anybody out there that's getting caught up in a feeling really needs to emphasize such easy but powerful skill sets such as pausing, which will bring them out of thinking in line with a feeling, and they'll, they'll truly start to understand that you don't have to believe everything that you feel. You know, I, I, don't, I don't remember who said it, don't believe everything you think, but, you know, most of the time we don't think our way into anxiety, but we feel our way into anxiety, we feel anxious, and then the thoughts arise. So yeah. that's why it's very important to um, go with this idea, this motto of, you know, think and act beyond what you're feeling. And if you do, then you're going to be taken to places that you never thought you'd go, and you're going to begin perceiving life in such a different way. And you won't have to rely on your instincts to guide you anymore, because that's what anxiety is. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And uh, it sounds like trust, as mentioned before, comes so beautifully into this as well. Mm -hmm. This strong trust of self, a strong trust that everything will be okay, and a strong trust that uh, there's something much deeper beneath these feelings that I feel. Now, someone experiencing uh, anxiety, say they were having anxiety, uh, an anxiety attack right now, or they started feeling really anxious, mm -hmm. what are some steps that you would invite them to start to take so that they can start to unwind this anxiousness, start to step more into peace in that moment? You know, one of the things that we kind of revert to in those moments of having an attack is, is positive thinking and distraction methods or anything that'll distract us from feeling what we're feeling. Um, mm. And, you know, positive thinking for me didn't really get me to a place where I started to believe what I was thinking. It was kind of like I was faking it in a way, you know, I'm healthy, I'm healthy, whatever it is. That's what I felt as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and it felt like I was faking it and it felt like it wasn't working. It wasn't sticking. I needed something to stick. So what I realized was in the moment, and I call it responding, instead of reacting, we're responding. We're responding to the moment, the moment of sensitivity. And in that moment, since it's the physiology, the body, that's, you know, screaming the loudest, it's important to work with the body first in order to tame it, in order to redirect it towards a new interpretation of the situation. So what I tell people is, go with your physiology first. Change something in your body in that moment, and then allow the thoughts or the shifts in how you think about it to arise because of the changes in your body. So the biggest thing I do is I would definitely slow a person's speed down, whether that be verbally or eating or whatever it is. So speed is very, very important in that moment to get clear again. And then in an attack, during an attack, what tends to happen is we become very tunnel vision-like. Everything is one way. You know, I'm, you know, I'm dying in this moment or that's happening or whatever it is. So mm. if we can just use our bodies to, and let's do this visually first. If I look to the left and recognize what's on my left, 
then I'm taking myself out of that attack. I'm taking myself out of being so narrowly focused on what's taking place in my body. So I, I recognize visually what's on my left, what colors are there, what textures are there, what can I touch? What's on my right? You know, what colors, yada, yada, yada. What's on my left that I can hear? Well, I can hear this on my left. I hear the fan. Well, let me engage in that for a little bit longer. Let me look on my right. What, what can I hear on my right? And you start to pull yourself out physiologically. You start to pull yourself out of thinking in the same way of how you're feeling in terms of that attack. And then I'll look to the left again. What can I feel? And then I'll look to the right. What can I feel? I'll look to the left. What can I, what can I smell on my left? What can I smell on my right? So as I engage with the body more, I'm redirecting it away from thinking that this moment is a threat and directing mm -hmm. it towards safety. It's all about safety. If the system believes that you are safe in this moment, then your symptoms whether that be mental or physiological, they're going to subside. So it's all about replacing safety with threat. And we do that through our bodies. And you're going to find that as you do these sorts of physiological responses, the, the thinking processes start to match up. They join along. You start to go, wow, you know... Uh, I'm having this anxiety attack right now and, and um, things are going fast still and, and I realize that I thought myself into it or I realize that uh, you know, unconsciously I was thinking about something in the future and you just start to peel the onion as to why you're experiencing that attack rather than getting caught up in the feelings. Hmm. And so that's kind of the initial response that... I would tell people to have in moments of having a heightened stimulating experience because the more of these, you know, physiological responses and mental responses that we have, the long term, the more our, our entire lives in the outside world are going to look safe to a system that is so highly invested in fear for so long. Right? So every win that you have, and I consider it a win, if you can respond rather than react instinctually, that's a win. And you, yeah. you kind of pile up all those wins, and next thing you know, the subconscious mind and body say, well, okay, well, I guess reality is safe, and I don't need to, uh, don't need to spur on any sensations and symptoms anymore because it's unnecessary. So, all right, we're good here, right? So mm. that's, that's, that's what I would do initially. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And it sounds like consistency is obviously such a key component here. Over time, there's this shift in relationship with that experience. And right. like you said, that sense of safety comes through. I find that so, so key, so beautiful. Right. Uh, and speaking of safety, uh, I see that at once upon a time, you were even at a point where you had 36 different pills, powders, and herbs relating <laughs> to your health anxiety uh, to, I suppose, move away from anxiety, right? So right. do you mind speaking on that as to uh, were they actually helpful at that point in time? And if there's anything that you would suggest or suggest against even yeah. uh, when it comes to supplementation? Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you're you're bringing up some flashbacks now. It's crazy because <laughs> I remember, uh, man, those days. Those days. It was. Uh, it was so. You know, it was obsessively trying to get to a better place, and the word is obsessive. You know, yeah. and um, and uh, I went over and beyond. I bought everything, technique, yeah. formula. You know supplement herb you give it to me i'll try it but that was the problem i tried it i tried it and i never really approached it with the right mindset of long-term healing i never really approached it in terms of a natural healing process i approached it in terms of i feel horrible right now so give me something that's going to make me feel better and so mm. i remember man that cabinet was full and, uh, and, um, 
during that healing journey, I remember uh, just grabbing that big um, garbage bag and putting all of that stuff into the garbage bag and being so just fed up, fed up with surviving. And I promised myself that, you know, as, as time went on, I promised myself that I wouldn't get caught up in anything that only allowed me to survive the day anymore. Any ideas. I, you know, I got to a point where I never allowed an idea that didn't serve me better to be entertained. I never entertained any of it. Wow. Because if I gave it an inch, it would take a mile. So yeah. it had, I had that level of awareness as I went through the day until I felt like I never, I didn't have to be so aware anymore. Things were becoming more automatic, but those pills, man, those herbs, you know, um, those powders, I mean, if I read it, I bought it. If it worked for yeah. somebody else, I was going to buy it. If I went to the natural path and she told me, Hey, you know, rat poison, take it. You know, don't listen to what anybody else says. If I deemed her as an authority figure and she told me it was going to help me, I was going to take it. I didn't look it up. I didn't research it. And isn't that kind of the way of the world right now, right? It's like, oh yeah, give it to me now. And I'm not willing to get it go into this long term. But, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, that long term approach and just that simple level of awareness to see what sort of things are bringing you to a place where you're becoming more sensitized and less worthy and less connected um, will will really start you on the healing journey. But um, I, I really, I just, I went to, uh, I had three, just three herbs um, after dozens of, of all that stuff in the cabinet. I just said, I'm just going to take three. So that was mm. kind of went hand in hand with all the, um, you know, all the intuitive work, the trusting work, the physiological work, the mental work. Um, and I found myself like, kind of like the feeling where you're on a beach and you run into a book that's like kind of been hidden in the sand, you know, those movies, like that's yeah. kind of how it felt for me for, for months there. Like, whoa, like this is weird. Okay. I put it out there and this is my intention and this is the direction I want to go. And I've got a lot of feeling attached to it. So, um, kind of just electromagnetic energy, just kind of working its way towards me. And I felt like, you know, even if I don't get better tomorrow, I know that in time I'll be in a better place because you simply just, you just feel like that's the case. So yeah, yeah I mean, three, three herbs and off I went and Put it all together, and here we are. <laughs> and what were those three herbs so, that you stuck with? So one of them was holy basil. And holy basil, you know, I had a really hard time sleeping. And I had mm. a really hard time and, and um, really hard time kind of just mellowing myself out to the point where I could experience something in the present moment. Um, the next one was St. John's wort. St. John's wort was, yeah. with medication, you always want to talk to your doctor because there's some conflict there between the two. So definitely don't jump into any of these doctor's approval first. Um, but St. Mm-hmm. John's wort was, um, was there and, uh, I, I had a different approach to it at that point. I saw it as six months, eight months, kind of long-term. That's the way St. John's wort worked for me. So that was that. And then there was ashwagandha. And ashwagandha really got me into um, teas because I remember getting the herbs and and uh, having some ashwagandha tea. And it didn't really make me drowsy or anything like that, but I, I just had a sense. And it's a, you could ask me where it comes from. I don't know. But I just had a sense that it was the right herb to use, you know? And so again, trust and and that sort of stuff, and you could believe in God, you could be spiritual, whatever it is that's going to lead you, you need that kind of relationship and that companion, that source energy that says, hey, you know, this is correct, and this is coming from your ego mind, right? This, yeah. this is kind of corrupted, and it's artificial, and this is what's real. 
So in that yeah. moment, I started to feel what was real. I put these three together. And um, as I went uh, forward in my healing, I tweaked some things. I tweaked it here, tweaked it there based on further research and, and good opinions and such. And, and it worked. It worked. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And what would your recommendations be to someone that might be seeking out those uh, supplements, those herbs, and might even be seeking medication? As, as, do you have recommendations around those ideas? Because I know when I went to the doctors, mm. um, I was given the opportunity to, to get on medication straight away as that's, of, of course, what um, what they're instructed. However, when I went to a specialist, uh, there was actually talk about taking a different route. And mm. it's interesting to sort of hear those conflicts between a general practitioner and uh, a specialist in the field of, um, of psychology or mental health and uh, hearing their different opinions around medication and around supplementation and around the steps to take with that. Because mm. I know um, Xanax, for example, is a big one for a lot of people that struggle with anxiety and totally. you know, many other SSRIs. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And going down that route can, of course, be momentarily helpful or helpful in the instant, but long-term can be detrimental uh, sure. if sure. Uh, not taken for the right reasons. Um, I'd love to invite you to even share if you've got any uh, opinions or advice on how people can actually approach that sort of stuff because yeah. it can be quite scary and sometimes they just take the first opinion they hear right exactly exactly um those are some huge points but you know i'm a big believer kieran at this point that you know ever, anything can work for anybody anything mm. can work for anybody and people out there that um are very narrow-minded in terms of focusing on what will heal and what won't heal um i have a I have a bit of an issue with that because if somebody is in such a severe state, for example, and um, and they go to the doctors and they're given the benzodiazepines, you know, to sleep better, to have a moment of rest or a moment of clarity, then I don't believe there's anything wrong with that mm. because what you want to do is you want to start seeing things more clearly. And if you're going to see things more clearly, sleep is right up there as, you know, the, one of the most important things. And a lot of anxiety sufferers have a very difficult time getting their REM sleep, getting their deep sleep, getting their lengthy sleep. So if the benzodiazepines give you the rest at night and they give you the rest in the day um, at certain moments of the day, so that you can think clearly and allow yourself mm. to trust and be intuitive, then there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's a lot of guilt yeah. in terms of people saying, well, I have this and I feel really guilty about taking it. I don't think you need to be guilty about taking anything. But what you do want to mm. do is you want to be aware that what you're taking may not, like you mentioned, may not lead to a long-term effect. It may be more present moment. It may be more, let me do this in order to experience this and gain the clarity that I need yeah. in order for me to heal myself long-term and shift my identity. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah I, have, I, have, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, would it be my number one choice? If I, when I look back, would it be my number one choice? I, I don't think so. I don't think it would be. Um, I spent time with uh, clonazepam. Um, I overdid it. I wasn't really going into it with the right mindset, with this kind of information and knowledge. You know, uh, it wasn't out there um, 12, 12 years ago. <laughs> you know, yeah. but um, I went into it saying this is going to heal me, and that was the problem. I got totally addicted to it. I was slurring my mm. words. Um, I couldn't function anymore. So it took me from a place of highly sensitized to like, you know, a blob. I was just like nothing. <laughs> trying to function throughout the day. But um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely, I would definitely consider everything. 
and I would look at it from uh, a patient perspective, but also a long-term perspective, because I believe that people today suffer from anxiety um, unnecessarily because they have no structure. They have Mm. no real plan of attack. They have no real plan of, you know, learning how to dialogue with the subconscious mind, uh, learning how to reframe their past traumas, getting themselves to brainwave states that are slower, like alpha brainwave states where they can Mm -hmm. begin reprogramming themselves at the deepest levels. You know, so there needs to be a plan and the plan must include convincing the subconscious mind of safety. That's the key. And uh, and if we look deeper into this, we can look into things such as, you know, mild or more extreme levels of hypnosis, although I'm not fully on board with certain types of hypnosis. Um, but imagery exercises are fantastic, you know, these sorts of things. But again, structure, a plan is absolutely necessary. And I would say that that plan needs to be, you know, put together for at least a three-month period. So three months is kind of where you start to feel like you can move away from being so aware and so conscious to being a little bit more unconscious and letting go, you know, where you, where all the work that you've been doing starts to catch up, right? Yeah. So that's what I, that's what I would suggest. Mm, I I love what you talked about is the intention behind using anything, which is the means to get me to that place where I can learn to think more clearly, change my relationship with this experience so that I can step into a more profound experience. And then over time, I'll no longer actually need that supplement or that pill or whatever it is. Um, And having that intention and understanding that, yeah, absolutely. And this is something that I definitely beat myself up for in the past actually was even when um, I like when I considered taking medication, I would beat myself up about it and say, "No, I can't do that. I don't right. want to rely on something." And right. that honestly wasn't healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I did end up taking St. John's Wort myself, and that was very helpful at the time. Oh, but um, yeah, I also had that experience as well of becoming uh, reliant on the St. John's Wort to an extent where the moment that I left my house uh, without have taken it. Uh, I'd have like a mini panic around that idea of not taking my right. St. John's wort. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was yes. definitely an interesting experience of um, becoming reliant on it rather than actually understanding, oh, this is actually getting me to that place where I can actually start to shift these things and create new relationships right. with myself um, with my experiences. Yeah. Cool. So thank you for sharing that. I definitely resonated a lot with a lot of what you said there. Definitely. Um, I'd love to just touch on one more point and then we'll wrap this up, which is, You've mentioned before, alcohol was my mini vacation and that resonated with me because mm-hmm. uh, when it came to alcohol and sex, actually, mm-hmm. there were uh, there were two big factors that became almost like, and once upon a time it was pornography as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. Um, but these things were my mini vacations in a way of getting away from that pain, my vices, if you will, but that took me away from actually solving the issue right. and getting to the root of it. So I'd love you to speak on that briefly as to what you meant by it's your mini vacation and uh, whether or not that's actually beneficial sometimes or whether it's actually important to take away the vices and look at it directly. Yeah, I mean, when it came to alcohol for me, it was uh, it was really a love-hate relationship because um, in the initial moments of having the drink and uh, I felt a sense of uh, trust in letting go. And in that moment, I experienced, you know, a a part of me that I really didn't uh, entertain too often and I neglected, a part of me that was social with people, a part of me that wasn't so constricted in my body, a part of me that was actually like if it was at the bar, I would go, I would go play pool. You know, you try Mm. to get me to play pool in an anxious state throughout the day. Heck no, I would never do that. (laughs) I remember going up and singing karaoke, you know, these sorts of things. And I found, wow, like this, this really gives me an escape, like an inner escape. And I can be who I want to be. And who I really wanted to be was, was someone who was genuine and someone who didn't only think about 
themselves. Because mm. I believe that a certain amount of anxiety comes based on being selfish. And selfish can be a very negative term, but in this context, it's not. So, um, yeah, it gave me a release. It gave me the ability to become who I wanted to become for a brief moment. Even if it was brief, I accepted it. But then I had this association in my head where I knew that in the back of my mind, and as I started to, you know, as the drink started to fade and I got more sober throughout the night, mm -hmm. I found that I was starting to think about the next day and the week. And what ten tended to happen was my panic attacks show, showed up extreme. Um, my sensitivity yeah. levels rose. Um, I was in a place where before I drank, it was like five to seven times worse than before I was drinking. So yeah. it was this sacrifice. It was like, I'm going to have this drink and I hope that tomorrow isn't the same as it was last week. And I hope the whole week, because many times on day four or five, it was worse than day two. And, yeah. and I found myself in this love-hate relationship where I loved, initially loved being who I was with the drink, but, and I wasn't an alcoholic by any means or anything like that, but, you know, it was that weekend moment that I had. Um, mm. And then throughout the week, very sensitized, and I found out uh, through personal experience and experimenting that it wasn't the actual substances within the drink that was causing me the panic or the extreme sensitivity. It was my deep underlying associations to what the drink was going to do to me in the coming days, in the coming week. That was the problem. Right. So when I started to approach the, the drink or even the sip of wine or whatever it is differently, I created a new association, a new pairing in my brain. And I consistently worked on that. And I emotionally got invested in this new idea that drinking a glass of wine equals a calming effect tomorrow. Then I started, you know, my, my system started to catch up. It was like, wow, is this really the case? So, it, it, you know, for many people, it's this love-hate relationship. But um, instead of these kinds of mini vacations that don't serve your healing, what really needs to show up is mini vacations throughout the day that are more productive and more in line with this healing journey. Like a mini mm -hmm. vacation in terms of a warm bath, even if that bath is like three minutes mm -hmm. and you allow yourself mm -hmm. to let go and be calm for like one minute, that's a win in my books. You know, that yeah. sort of thing. You go for a walk and you're internal and you're sensitized for, you know, 15 minutes of that walk, but for a five minute period, you're engaged in everything on the outside, that's a win. So these mm. are the mini vacations where we give our systems the time to relax, the time to let go, and to spur on creativity, to spur on deeper insights and deeper clarity, because it's, this, it's the insights that heal people. I tell people this all the time. It's not the doing, it's not the changes, it's not the behaviors, it's the insights that come from those things. So yeah. just to finalize, you know, when I brought around a clarity journal and I started to write down my epiphanies throughout the day, like, wow, I never realized this, I never realized that, I never realized that it was my associations to drinking rather than the drink itself, I started to heal myself. So mm. the, the idea of compounding on these clarities and these insights is absolutely vital for a person suffering from anxiety. You need to spend time on the insights and the clarities that you're gaining from the winds rather than think that the behavior itself is going to heal you, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you, Dennis, for uh, sharing honestly. I've learned a lot just in this hour that we've been speaking and I'm sure that everyone turning in would have learned a lot too. Pleasure. Uh, Pleasure. Where can they find you, Dennis? Uh, you could find me. A uh, new book came out on Amazon, F Coping, Start Healing, um, as well. The audiobooks there. You can find me on theanxietyguy.com. Uh, I got a YouTube channel under The Anxiety Guy as well as a podcast. So whatever speaks to you, just you know, input The Anxiety Guy in the search and you'll find me. <laughs> Love it. 
Yeah. I'll put all the uh, links as well in the uh, show notes of this episode so that people can find those details as well. So if you're listening in and uh, really feel that you picked anything up from this episode, which I absolutely feel that even if you uh, resonated with some things, I guarantee you'll resonate with a lot of the content that Dennis puts out. So I highly recommend going and tuning into uh, some of Dennis's work, some of his videos, some of his content on Instagram, uh, even some of the things that he might say on Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel that a lot of them are honestly so many golden nuggets within that, uh, <laughs> within the work that Dennis does. So <laughs> thank you, my friend. Thank you for the work you do, mate. I, I appreciate really appreciate it. it. Thanks so much for having mm-hmm. me. It's been fun. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So for those that are tuning in, uh, you can find us on Instagram at the Pocket Coach or at Coach Keza. Uh, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and give it a wee rating and a little review. Uh, if you feel that this did resonate in some shape or form, as this does allow us to expand our reach and to start to actually reach others that may need and may feel that they would uh, resonate with some of this information uh, that we've spoken on today. So without further ado, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Much love and stay blessed. Singing on.